Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So I hope you had a great Christmas and uh, you got everything you wanted. And uh, let us know how you're feeling. Call the buzz line, 604-331-2899. 604-331-2899. You can record your message and we'll play it on the air. Let us know how your Christmas was. Uh, did you get anything uh, high tech, uh, new gadgets that, uh, that you will now not be able to live without, like noise canceling headphones? Or maybe now that Christmas is over, you're wondering if it's a good time to go shopping for that high-tech stuff you want. And here to guide us through all the high-tech stuff that is out there, what was big at Christmas, and what we can expect in 2022 is our technology and digital lifestyle expert from HandyAndyMedia.com. Andy Barrar is with us. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm good, Martin. How are you doing? Excellent, excellent. Best of the season. So, I, I mean, this is a, a, a big time for you because you're reviewing all the new things. This is when everything gets debuted. Um, let's just talk about what was the what was the coolest high tech gadget for Christmas 2021. Well, you know, it, it, you're right. It's this is time of year, especially after Christmas, to kind of reflect on all the different types of uh, tech gadgets that came out uh, during this year. The one that I, really impressed me, and, I, and I'm a hard guy to be impressed by, Martin, when it comes to technology, <laughs> but the one that really put a smile to my face because it reminded me of my childhood was the Vespera Smart Telescope. Now, this is not the kind of telescope that a lot of people have used where you had to look through the lens with one eye. This is a smart telescope. And the way that it works is you basically dock it. It has a built-in battery, but it works with your smartphone or your tablet. And it can actually sync up to five different tablets. So you would down the companion app. And then from there on the app, you could say that a particular thing you might want to see in the galaxy, like say the North Star, you pick it. It uses the GPS from your phone to direct the telescope to that object. And then you can see it on your smartphone rather than looking through a lens. But Martin, what makes this even more is it has a built-in camera. So not only can you look at things, you can take a picture of it and then share it on social media. So this is why I picked this as the top kind of, you know, consumer gadget for 2021, the Vespera Smart Telescope. That's pretty cool sounding. A lot different than the telescopes that we used to have when we were kids. Amazing. You take pictures. And one thing that I didn't really think about as high tech until I went to your website is uh, those, uh, what do you, you call them, connected cardio equipment, like the Peloton bike, where you actually, you log in and, and you actually are are online and you're being coached and all that stuff. And it was a big year for connected cardio equipment, wasn't it? It was. Um, as soon as the lockdown happened, the sales for Peloton went up, like skyrocketed. Everybody was uh, on these connected bikes. You also saw other companies uh, make uh, similar products. So there was a company that I reviewed. They're called Echelon, which is very similar to Peloton. And, and basically, <laughs> it was a cheaper version of the Peloton. But the thing with these is all of these connected bikes have subscriptions. So you have to have a monthly subscription similar to a gym subscription. And what we've seen, uh, Martin, is over 2020, just towards the end of 2021, a lot of people were canceling their subscriptions and trying to sell their Pelotons uh, online. So there's a huge market for old used Pelotons if anyone's looking for it. But with the new lockdowns, um, I I'm interested to see if those sales go up in 2022 because um, you know we, we do have lockdowns once again. So maybe those people with Pelotons that canceled their subscription have now restarted it. So uh, only time will tell in 2022 how that connected bike uh, industry survives because they even have connected uh, rowers as well. So pretty, pretty much everything from treadmills to bikes is being connected, but they do come with that monthly subscription service. And you only wonder if people are going to cancel those as well over time. That's an interesting question. Cause when I'm at the gym and I'm on the bike, I, I like to watch episodes of star Trek or something while I ride. So 
will these Peloton bikes and the Echelon bikes, will they work if you're not subscribed? They don't work as well. Of course, you can spin it, but for what a lot of people are using them for is all the metrics, the live classes. Um, they, you might as well just get yourself an ordinary bike if, if you don't want the connected features. And they design it for that. They don't want you to use them without the subscription. Even there's another uh, bike where it has a built-in screen and allows you to watch Netflix. However, you need to still have their annual subscription to watch the Netflix app. So it, it, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot because anybody could take a tablet and just put it on top of that screen and watch Netflix for free. So that that's an interesting category that we're going to continue to watch. I'm staying away from it, Martin. I can't afford that. I went out and bought a jump rope and that cost me $20 <laughs> and it's done me well during this pandemic. So you don't need a subscription to stay fit uh, in 2021 and 2022. Right. And I bought my wife a pair of uh, noise canceling uh, earbuds, the wireless earbuds. And man, they sound really good. They're the Apple ones and they're expensive, but I guess audio equipment uh, in 2021, there were a lot of new things to do with audio equipment. Yeah, when it comes to, because all of us have mobile devices, so it makes sense to have a corresponding audio equipment that uses Bluetooth. So for most people, the thing that I recommend is get yourself a pair of wireless headphones so you can do hands-free calling. Um, you, you could wash the dishes and with that noise canceling, they, they shouldn't be able to hear you know the background noise and still be able to hold that conversation. But the next thing to do is get yourself a portable Bluetooth speaker. And, you know, you can even get smart speakers, of course. But the beauty about Bluetooth speakers, a lot of these are rugged. They're waterproof. You can throw them, uh, you know, basically in the water if they fall in during the beach. Uh, it's not a problem. And they can work. When it comes to Bluetooth speakers, the one thing that you should look for is what's called dual Bluetooth pairing. And that allows you to pair both your, say, your smartphone and your tablet at the same time. And that makes a lot of sense because you don't want to have to unpair one device to connect another. They, you can use them interchangeably. And it's great for parties because two people can play DJ on one speaker, which is something that you definitely want to do. Um, I always have that family member who, as soon as I play music, they want to turn around and become DJ. So now you can share those duties with these dual pairing Bluetooth speakers. And this is Martin Strong sitting in for Mike uh, this morning. And we're talking technology with our technology and digital lifestyle expert from handyandymedia.com, Andy Barrar. And we're talking now about what's coming up in the new year in 2022. And I couldn't believe this when I read it. Uh, 2022 is the 50th anniversary of the video game home console. 50 years, that's insane. Yeah, so that means the first game console came out in 1972. And I hate to put you on the spot, Martin, but do you know what that console was that was released in 1972? The Magnavox Odyssey. That's right. <laughs> Cause I, you got cause it. I looked it up. I looked it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked to it handy. up as well. I went to handyandymedia.com and saw it. But so, and this looks like a pretty boring video game console. Like you're basically, basically playing card games and stuff, I think. Yeah, it was like a spot game. So it was kind of like the the precursor to Pong. So it wasn't very, you know, elaborate when you compare to the games that we have today. But it was a huge shift because when you remember, you know, you had arcades and arcades blew up in, in the 70s. But then to have that in the 70s and 80s move inside the home, that was revolutionary. And we've seen through the years, you know, certain games that really, you know, entice people to buy consoles. Like for me, I was a child of the uh, late 80s and 90s. And I remember the, the game Street Fighter, which I used to play um, at the arcades <laughs> all the time when Fight. that came. When Street Fighter came on, onto uh, Super Nintendo, that was a huge thing. I just remember begging my mom to buy it, and I used, used to dream about it. So right. to think that the, the video game console has turned 50 makes us uh, feel old. But the average age of a gamer today is like 39 years old. So you have you know, parents now playing video games with their kids. And I think that just shows it's kind of like rap music. You know, rap music's kind of old too when you think about it. And, and you see that with video games. And it's just exploded. But there's different types of gaming today, Martin. You have your console gaming, which is turning 50, but there's also PC gaming and mobile gaming. But console gaming, there's 900 million console users right now globally that are playing video games on a console. So that's like a PlayStation or an Xbox. So that just shows 
how big this industry is. And Hollywood should take notice because they are surpassing in revenue Hollywood year over year. And video game playing is actually increasing, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, and when they come out with a new video game, sometimes the the money that that video game makes is just kind of the same as a blockbuster Marvel movie, right? Yes, and it's the here's the big shift that I've seen in the video game industry compared to yesteryear. You typically you would buy the game as a as a cartridge or or a CD, but everything is moving digital. And so it's not just buying the game now, but people are paying for for products and stuff in game. And with the explosion of NFT, these non-fungible tokens, they're trying to bring that into the video game market and the the industry is divided because players already it's expected to to pay about $92 per person per console gamer. Um you know, in 2022. So that's not just buying the video game. That's the in-game purchases. And I don't know if people are ready for that, but if NFTs go into video games, that means say you have a, a racing game and you have a souped up car that you bought and you have the NFT, you could then sell that to another gamer, a digital asset to another gamer and say, I'm going to sell you my souped up car for this particular video game. And, and that might be where we see the shift in video games in 2022. That's interesting. Wow. Uh, so it is the 50th anniversary of the home video game console. Um, and 2022, you are also predicting could be the year that we end the password. That's right. So, uh, you know, the, the thing is, if you look at AI, you look at machine learning, it is getting so smart that the passwords that we create, and typically when you see a password, they'll say you have to have a capital, you have to have one character, a lowercase number. Um, it, it's just getting really hard. And what you're seeing is that a lot of companies, a lot of uh, apps, they're starting to use the two-factor authentication. So even if you want to log into, a, say, your blog, just to back up without a password, you'll have to use your mobile device, open up an app to get a number that you would enter. And that basically verifies who you are. There's, of course, biometrics, which is our, our faces and our fingerprints can also authenticate who we are. So you're seeing this shift slowly as we're moving away from passwords to these other authentication methods. And I think 2022 might be the year where we might just say goodbye to the passwords altogether because it's getting kind of ridiculous, Martin, you know, the, the complex <laughs> passwords that we have to create. Um, and I just I just see that the whole industry just trying to give up on it because, like I said, the AI is going to be able to break it anyways. So we have to find new solutions to authenticate ourselves. Yeah, that sounds great. Cause, and that sort of double authentication where suddenly you have to go find your phone because they just sent you a code on your phone and your phone's not there. It's upstairs. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. That's the only problem with this system is that you're glued to your phone. If you don't have your phone, you're going to have a hard time getting into pretty much websites or, or anything that requires a password. And in this, the last minute that we have, uh, you're talking about something called right to repair tech products, which means like things we can actually get into and fix and, instead of just throwing them away. Yeah, we've seen this movement of this right to repair legislation happening in Europe, uh, across the globe, They're putting pressure on companies to make these products that you can fix. If you have an iPhone and the screen breaks, you should be able to go to a third party or fix it yourself. And what I predict is you're going to see more and more of these ecological, you know, eco-friendly tech products and companies that are coming out with products like laptops and smartphones that we can modularly fix. So if the battery dies, the camera dies, we can just replace it. And that's something I think we'll see in 2022, because there is definitely a demand for those types of products. Yeah, that seems fair, you know, because it, 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 the, the planned obsolescence of a lot of this stuff uh, is, seems to be getting out of hand. Well, Andy Barrar, thank you so much. Andy, you can uh, check out at handy, Andy, handyandymedia.com uh, and have a great new year, Andy. Thanks, Martin. You too. And this is Martin Strong in for Mike this morning. And uh, it was just before Christmas where the federal government uh, gave us that travel advisory not to do any international travel if we didn't have to. Non-essential travel, the advisory was, but it wasn't a ban. So 
and and there are a lot of questions about you know what is essential travel uh and also with the omicron variant becoming so top of mind even travel within canada is also in question are people traveling is the question and with us now is claire newell from from uh from uh, travel best bet she's the president and she's also our global bc travel expert always a pleasure to talk to claire hi claire Hi there. Happy holidays. I hope it's been a good one for you. Um, I can tell you, though, Martin, for a lot of people, this was a really tough travel uh, holiday season if people have chosen or are traveling at the moment. And as you mentioned, the uh, advisory to avoid non-essential travel came back on just before the holiday season. And so there were certainly people who changed their dates. There were other people who canceled like my parents mm-hmm. who were supposed to come up to Vancouver um, from where they snowbird down in Scottsdale, Arizona. And they were supposed to come the 21st to the 28th of December, but chose not to. And then there were people who decided to go. Uh, I have many close friends who actually decided to go. And many of them ran into trouble. There were lots of canceled flights, as you may have heard on the news, because of staff shortages of the airlines. People rerouted, uh, flights canceled. Um, so it wreaked havoc on a lot of scheduling. The other thing was, uh, I, I have some, uh, actually, this is a friend of my son's. This is a prime example. And I've heard multiple stories of this who people wrote into me, where people had absolutely no idea they had COVID because um, for some people, obviously, om- Omicron, uh, they're asymptomatic or right. just sniffles or something. Right. They ended up not being able to go on their trip because the pre-flight test showed that they actually had COVID. Ooh. We've had other people who did multifamily trips. So there were, you know, grandparents, parents, and grandchildren all going to a destination, 15, 20 people at a time. And some of them got COVID in destination. So they're being, you know, trying to separate while still trying to enjoy themselves. It's a, it's been a very difficult year, actually much more difficult in many ways than last year. Wow. Yeah. That, and it, cause it sort of crept up on us. And, and I had a few friends who were traveling, uh, on Christmas day. And I mean, is that generally, uh, a good day to travel on the actual well, for many, day? Yeah. For many people, they find that that's actually cheaper. The most expensive days pre COVID were always 22nd, 23rd, 24th leading up to the holidays. And then again, the, the dates between Christmas and New Year's heading up for, people either heading home or heading away after Christmas with their families. This year, uh, it's been really different. Those flights were actually very heavily booked in some cases. But then, of course, with cancellations, there were some last-minute deals to be had. The difficulty this year was the fact that the last week of October, the ban or the not ban, it's never been a ban, it's um, (laughs) the advisory to avoid non-essential travel, was actually lifted. It had been in place for almost 18 months. It went back on just two months later. But during that two-month window, so many people booked travel uh, because they felt it was okay to do so. So one of the things that I'm finding now that there are families sitting around, we're getting still getting lots of emails uh, for people who are interested in putting travel on the books for 2022. Might be summer, might be later in, in the year. There are some really good deals to be had. Just please make sure if you're looking at deals and you think they're great and you'd like to take advantage of them, that you make sure that the terms and conditions give you the flexibility that you need uh, should something change? Because again, all we know about this COVID situation is that things can change quickly, like they did with Omicron, and you don't want to be left holding the bag. And so as well, make sure that you, if you have to put down a non-refundable deposit, that you actually uh, protect your investment by getting travel insurance that will cover you for that, as well as COVID-19. Right. And, and you know, looking at 2022, It sort of seems to me like the next couple of weeks will tell a lot of the story. This about how severe the Omicron variant is and, and it'll give us an idea of what 2022 is going to look like. So what do you recommend for people who are, who, you know, who usually travel in January and February? They go somewhere warm. Are, are you recommending they maybe wait a few weeks or, or is it a good time? Are there some good deals to get? 
you know, this is one of those things that's really a, a personal decision. The advisory is still in place. There will be certainly people who want to go, like for their mental health. They haven't traveled in two years. They want to take advantage of some of the really, really cheap deals, as you can imagine right now that there are some um, in January and February because of the situation. There will be many others who will just kind of park it and wait to see what happens over the next few weeks. Um kind of banking on this whole Bill Gates um, prediction. I don't know if did you see what, when it came out. I read it and I'm like, really? I'm How am I banking all of this and, and having so much hope in that Bill Gates is saying that the next few months could be difficult, but it could end the, the pandemic. I, right. I, I'm holding hope on that type of a comment. <laughs> um, you, know, you know you've been through a lot uh, in the travel industry when you're banking on a uh, prediction like that. But, uh, you know, the, you're right. A lot will be told in the next few weeks. Uh, it's so sad. It's so sad to be separated from our family over the holidays. It's so sad to um, be thinking how this is impacting travel. The whole industry worldwide has just, you know, it's lost trillions of dollars uh, to the, the GDP. It's really tough, but you, you have to put your uh, hope in something. As long as you've got those flexible terms, I myself have several trips uh, on the agenda, of course, <laughs> they're very flexible, um, but I have a lot of hope and I, I am hoping that um, my February trip to Antarctica that has been bumped four times already won't be that. You know what? I'm not holding my breath, Martin. Not you're, going, my breath. you're going to Antarctica. So, wow, that'll be interesting because it sort of feels like Antarctica outside at the moment, but uh, that'll, that'll be a great <laughs> It sure <trip>. does. <laughs> you know, that it's been my 25th wedding anniversary trip that's been postponed, like I said, four times. Um, I, and, you know, it's the situation with the flights. It's the situation with uh, Argentina. We fly, supposed to be flying Vancouver, Toronto, Toronto, Buenos Aires, and then Buenos Aires to Ushuaia, where you take a ship that has less than 200 passengers on it. Um, all of there are just so many factors. I'm just not holding my breath. I, I never have for this trip during the pandemic, but I, I really do hope I can go. I, I don't know if that's right or wrong to say, but I am, I, I'm really hoping that. I have got a, a trip planned to go visit my son who's going to be on a, a university exchange in Helsinki, Finland uh, wow. in a few months. Uh, I have some a trip to Europe again in the summer on the book. So I, I do have lots of hope. Uh, but again, <laughs> I, I, I really recommend that nobody hold their hopes at the moment. Um, people I, I love and love dearly couldn't go on trips because of COVID this, this Christmas. They actually didn't have any symptoms, but they did test positive. Can't even go to see family, can't go to Whistler like they were planning. This type of thing is happening all over the place. I'm sure everyone knows someone. Do you, Martin? Do you know someone who has has it right now? Uh, yes, it, it, it is interesting. It uh, Sort of anecdotally, this uh, era that we're in, I know far more people who have it than in any other point of this. So yeah, um, me too. Yeah, it's it's been crazy. Well, thank you so much, Claire. Um, and Thanks, uh, Martin. Best of, best of luck to get to your cold destinations. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Thanks Claire, so much, and happy holidays. Let's hope for holidays. much better in 2022. Not bad. Nice hot mustard. Good bread. Turkey's a little dry. The turkey's a little dry. Oh, bone oh, accursed thing! What demon from the depths of hell created me? <laughs> We're talking turkey. I'm Martin Strong in for Mike Smith. And uh, I've eaten a lot of turkey in the last two days. And uh, with me now to help us with our holiday eating is Karen McSherry, founder and president of the Gourmet Warehouse. Uh, hi, Karen. Thanks for being here. Morning, Martin. How are you? I'm doing very, very well, and uh, I had a great turkey dinner. And by the way, I should give out our phone number, 604-280-9898, if you have a question for Karen about uh, what to do with your leftovers and maybe about uh, some other meals you might, might want to prepare in this little holiday window we have, maybe a New Year's Eve dinner, uh, 604-280-9898. So, uh, Karen, I, I trust you had a sort of a, a gourmet Christmas Oh, yes, I did. Um, I traditionally do Christmas Eve with my family and, and close friends. And then my girlfriend 
um, always then traditionally prepares Christmas Day, so the jobs are split. And we always have the traditional turkey, the brine turkey, all the fixings. It's it's brilliant, and everybody's happy. And this year was a lot smaller than years before, but it was still fun, and, and tradition carries on. And, and you just do it in smaller numbers and keeping everybody good. So we had a great time, drank lots of wine, ate lots of turkey, and then everybody gets that lethargic tiredness, you know? Yeah. I I think I'm like a lot of people. I I love Turkey because of the, you know, the, the tradition of it and the ritual of the Turkey, but I'm not a a huge fan of actually Turkey. If I was in a restaurant, I would never order Turkey. No, me (laughs) either. Never, ever, ever. Yeah. But this Christmas day, my son, who's back from Montreal, uh, who was in university there, uh, he sort of oversaw the Turkey dinner and it was the nicest uh, most moist delicious turkey i've ever had and uh, i'm oh i'm God. so happy about that so i guess my first question to you karen mcsherry is what are what are some quick uh do's and don'ts for cooking a turkey oh the cooking of the turkey that's yeah. really easy i i'm a big briner um i love to brine a turkey but at high heat for 30 minutes and then you turn it down and you at about 375 and let that baby roast, basting it continually. I like my stuffing inside the bird. Um, but, um, you know, you can do it either way. If you take the stuffing outside the bird, it cooks quicker. A brine turkey will also cook faster than just a regular turkey put in a pan with a rub or something like that. Um, the nice part about it is you get to, it's, it's that bird that keeps on giving. So, the third thing is that aren't you glad that you have adult children that can take over and cook? There's your present right there. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and the thing with turkey is you have so much in the way of leftovers. So what's your, fav- what's your so favorite thing to do? I'm going to give you three ideas. We're not going to talk soup because that's classic. We're not going to talk the sandwich because that's what everybody does. Yeah. We're going to talk about ways to make it interesting because the price of the bird's go up every year obviously and there was all you know Abbotsford and Chilliwack and they all the growers out there struggled this year so you didn't they didn't come cheap so you don't want to waste anything so you're going to pull all the meat off the bird and you're going to save that carcass and you're going to go and do your soup because that's what we talk about every year so let's talk about three interesting things that we can do so the first thing I would do who doesn't love Mexican street food so why don't we take the shredded turkey meat and turn it into a taco nice right easy you go to the store you get the if either or if you're a you know you're a corn tortilla lover or a flour tortilla lover you're going to warm those tortillas you're going to take that a a nice onion you're going to caramelize the onion throw the turkey in there Um, and if you've got a half bottle of salsa in your cupboard in your in your refrigerator and you go oh my god what am I going to do with that okay throw that half jar of salsa into the turkey warm that through give it a little bit of chili flakes or some hot sauce shred lettuce some olives whatever you like in your taco I like the pickled jalapenos fill that up some grated jack cheese over it broil it in the oven and boom you've got yourself a nice little turkey taco Wow, that's something I would never have thought of, a, a turkey, that's turkey super taco easy. tortilla. Yeah, that's, and now that's, you've used that's, all the stuff, you know, and all you needed was some grated cheese. You probably have, you know, you could use cheddar, jack cheese, whatever you've got, and then lay them on a cookie sheet, put the cheese on top, broil it so it melts, and boom, you're eating standing up. Pretend you're in, in Mexico at a street stand, only you're in your kitchen freezing <laughs> Oh, that. <laughs> yeah, you're wondering why the heat hasn't come on yet. Uh, yeah, it's very cold. Well, uh, I, we have a we have somebody on the line who has a question for you, Karen. Okay, uh, sure. Ron, Ron in Burnaby. Hi, Ron. Hey, Mark. So, uh, Karen. Uh, yes. I have hunted far and wide. What is the best oil to use for stir fry? That doesn't go red. No, the best oil to use for stir fry unequivocally is not peanut oil because there's two reasons peanut oil there's so many allergies out there against peanuts and it used to be the oil of choice for like no flavor well the best one now that trumps it peanut oil's cost has gone way up roasted grapeseed oil it's very economical 
It it's delicious and it imparts a zero flavor. I have two oils in my house, grapeseed oil and a multitude of different olive oils. And the reason I have grapeseed oil is every single time I'm cooking a like a meal, like let's say a stir fry, um, um, Indian food, uh, Chinese food, Asian food, you don't want olive oil because olive oil doesn't serve the purpose. It, 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 will, it doesn't like high heat. Grapeseed loves, loves high heat, and it does not go rancid without refrigeration in hot, hot weather. Great advice. Thank you, Ron. Uh, that's and Ron in keeps. Burnaby. And it, and it keeps. And yeah, it's so we're- inexpensive. And this is Martin Strong sitting in for Mike. Our number is 604-280-9898 if you want to call in and talk to our guest, Karen McSherry, founder and president of the Gourmet Warehouse. And Karen, we've learned two things uh, so far this morning. Uh, First, that grapeseed oil is the good oil for stir fry because it loves high heat and it doesn't leave uh, a lot of uh, taste. And so that's interesting, grapeseed oil. Uh, But also... uh, tortillas or tacos with your your leftover turkey which i think is just a great idea you ready for this next one i am and i i want to know like uh what to do with those leftovers go ahead so turkey you don't need to add a lot it's not like you're taking you know like a a chicken breast and you're going to try to make it taste fabulous you've already roasted this bird for three to four hours so it's got inherent flavor already and so now you're just taking really sort of favorite recipes and incorporating the the protein into it. My next one is a real simple uh, curry and who doesn't love a curry? So curry is as simple as sauteing some shallots and garlic and then adding um, two to three tablespoons of your favorite curry paste. There's so many um, out there and they're good. They're really good. They've taken the time to roast the toast those, um, seasonings and grind it into a paste so that all you have to do is get your little spoon in that jar and put it in your hot pan and make this gorgeous paste turning it into a curry sauce you need coconut milk and you just whisk away after you added all of those ingredients i like to throw in a little bit of chutney and a good squeeze of lemon juice Taste for seasonings. If you like it spicier, fill your boots. There's easy. That's easy to add hot, and then toss in your chopped curry, or chopped curry, chopped turkey, and then yeah. pour that either over rice or noodles, and you've got a beautiful turkey curry. And it couldn't be easier because all the hard work has been done. You're just going to whip up a little side sauce. Yeah, that sounds great. That's another thing I would never have thought of doing. With and turkey. then you want to take chopped cashews, take a whole handful of chopped cashews, chop them all up, a whole big, big half a bunch of cilantro, all chopped up all over top of your curry, and now you're really happy. Right. Oh, that's that's great. So we've got uh, tacos, uh, curry, and and what else? Tacos, curry, and then the other thing you could do, uh, there's, I mean, I could talk to you for hours on this, For <laughs> honestly, um, I would, I would do, um, you could do an instant pho, so people go, I, but I want soup, but I don't want turkey soup, and, and pho is the traditional soup from Vietnam. And so they sell packets of pho. You just add water to it. But instead of it being, you know, your traditional carrot, celery, onion, you know, sort of North American turkey soup, you have, um, you've got a a Vietnamese flavor. So you need rice noodles. And then you, you soak the rice noodles in the hot stock, put in your turkey, some bean sprouts, chopped green onion, and it is absolutely fabulous. And you've got leftover veg. Don't don't think that they're not good still. Just put them in the foe. And you've got now this great instant soup, but you've got this roasted turkey flavor instead of the traditional pork. Yeah, because I would think that the um, Brussels sprouts, if you cut them in half, would be great yep. in the foe you, broth. And put them in, left over the broccoli that's left over. If your cauliflower is swimming in cheese sauce, do not put that in, because that's just going to interrupt the whole sort of faux taste. So you don't want that, yeah. but you want the bare naked vegetables if you've got them, the roasted broccoli, the roasted um, sprouts, that kind of thing. But that's another good thing to do. And then lots of green onion and the rice noodles and ba-boom, you've got another dish. 
Right. Oh, that's great because I've never never made pho at home. I've had a lot of pho or pho, as I, I believe we're supposed to call it. Um, oh, okay. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> I know I, I don't want it. I, I feel pretentious saying pho, but um, uh, but I I've never made it at home. So let's talk about um, uh, the the sandwich. <laughs> I know oh, you, yeah. you sort of glossed over it. What do you do to a turkey? I'm guessing your turkey sandwich would be amazing. What, oh, what's I your take, secret? Oh, I, I, my secret is all the, the stuffing, the cranberry sauce, the turkey, a good soft bun. You could do either way. If you're, you're a big griller and you like all of that, you could do, you could do the toasted turkey sandwich, which would be delicious. So you could do like instead of a croque madame or a croque monsieur, which is very French, you could do the same thing in, with, with turkey. So you've got the cheese, the tomato, you've got um, the egg, and then you just toast that. That would be delicious. I've never done that, but it just came to me, and I, that would be <laughs> wonderful. And the so Gruyere cheese. Yeah. Oh, nice. Wow. So you're and improvising. I just, I just <laughs> fly. Imp- I don't use, I just fly with, oh, go on that route. And then you go down that culinary world of the French. And then you could do, I forgot to mention pot pie, which is probably one of the things I always do. I made it actually pot pie for this week because um, I'm up at Whistler and it's minus 27. It is so flipping cold. You can't even, but it's blue sky and gorgeous, but your nose is biting. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to have we're going to have turkey pot pie tonight. So you take your leftover turkey, cube it up, and then you want peas and carrots. I like the little silver skin onions in there that I roast up, and then I make a sauce, a cheese sauce. Uh, but instead of a cheddar cheese, I use a Gruyere cheese, which is a Swiss cheese, has a lot, a lot, a lot of flavor. So then you make a, you know, a roux, you make flour and butter, cook that out, add two cups of milk, add two cups of um, chicken stock or vegetable stock or whatever stock you have. And then you add two cups of grated Gruyere cheese, some salt, pepper, and stir that. And it's all thick and creamy and cheesy. And then you mix in your cooked turkey, some little baby peas, carrots, and you cut the carrots small. And if you're too lazy and you want to cut them bigger, then you're going to have to blanch them in hot water just to cook them because carrots take a long time to cook. And then carrots, peas, and then the little onions, put it in a casserole dish and boom, in the oven, and you've got this delicious pot pie. And all you really did was make a cheese sauce. Sounds great. And uh, we've got like 45 seconds to take a quick call. Doug in Vancouver. Oh, Doug is gone. Uh, Yeah, so we were... uh, Doug's gone off to make pot pie. Yeah, the pot pie just sounds... (laughs) Just sounds amazing, um, and uh, the the store was great. I was there a few days before Christmas, and uh, it you seems like you didn't say a, hi, Martin. Why? Oh, I was running I around know. like a chicken without a head. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very busy there, and I guess it yes. always is. And uh, and and congratulations on on another great holiday. And uh, it's always so great to to talk food with you, Karen. Thank you. Thanks for thinking of uh, talking turkey. <laughs> And this is Martin Strong in for Mike this morning. And I want you to think about your pet right now. Imagine if that pet went missing. It really would be like losing a member of the family and and not knowing where they are, how they're being treated, uh, if that pet was presumed to be stolen. That's what Valerie Wetstein of Whetstone Guest Ranch is going through after two of her nine-year-old horses went missing and are presumed stolen just over a week ago. Jack and Jill are fjord cross draft horses. They were being used for winter sleigh rides at a neighboring farm in 108 Mile House when they suddenly vanished. A search of an area over 100 Ks has turned up nothing. And uh, Valerie is with us now. Uh, thanks for, for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so first off, I, I think I speak for everybody when I say uh, our hearts are with you. We're really thinking uh, about you because you really love these horses. Uh, what does it feel like to not know where they are, who is with them, how they're being treated? Uh, 
terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very emotional, and I I just hope wherever they are that they're safe and well taken care of. Right. I just want them back. Right. So let, let's talk about these horses. These are big horses, aren't they? They're, I saw the pictures of them. They look like big, lovable horses that carry a sleigh. Yes, they're very sweet and stocky and healthy. So even if they're out in the wild lost, I'm positive that they're they're okay because they have really thick winter coats. And as long as they have food and water, they're they're okay and yeah they're they're my babies they're family <laughs> yeah so and that was one of my first questions was because it's so cold especially uh in the hundred mile house area right now it's really cold but you're you're saying that these are pretty hardy animals they are yes and uh i'm yeah they're also known the breed is known to be very tough and they're out 24 7 at my property anyways so it's not like they're kept in a stable or blanketed or anything so that helps if they're out there in the wild that they're going to be okay so at least i don't have to worry too much about that yeah and the search was a big one over 100 k's an area you search so so you are 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 pretty sure that these horses were stolen Yes, we searched um, on foot, on horseback, by drone. We had a lady uh, fly over the entire property by plane and people out there with snowmobiles and there's ski trails out there too. And people were looking for tracks and signs um, of them where they could have gone. And we, we just couldn't find anything obvious, no tracks, no signs of them pawing for grass because that's what they would do if they're out there they'd go into a big meadow and paw for grass and so they'd have food and yeah we couldn't find anything so unfortunately we had to start thinking about the fact that someone came out there and took them from the property and that's when I put up my post on Facebook sharing the news because at first we just thought maybe they went on a little adventure and they'd come back. But yeah, we can't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. Is, is this something that happens a lot, horse theft? And, and do you have any idea what people would want with Jack and Jill, the two horses? It doesn't happen that often as far as I know. I know it has happened in the past, but it's not something that happens monthly or weekly or anything. And they're they're a popular breed and they're very unique looking and um I I won't say too much about their training ability because in case someone has them I don't want them to know all the details about them in case they're using them for something but uh they they are great horses and i'm hoping that like people could use them for personal use but my fear was also that someone would take them to bring to an auction and have them slaughtered for horse meat because they're stockier and bigger and heavier so unfortunately that's the thing that's um still happening here in canada and i just hope Whoever has them has them on their property or like wouldn't sell them for meat. Right. And and they are branded. So so that's they a good are, thing. That's very good, yes. Especially in this case, if someone would bring them to an auction yard, there's always brand inspectors there that look for those things. And that would lead back to me if they um see the brand. It's on their left shoulder near side and it's a diamond shaped um sign over an upside down e so they would see that and that's definitely helpful if they're out there yeah and you mentioned you're on facebook and i i did a little search earlier and i saw a lot of pictures of these horses so where can people go to see jack and jill Yes, um, so they would find my post, my original post and a few others on my Facebook page. 
and they can share it from there. And a lot of people have shared it on other horse sites or community sites. And uh, I think if we can get the word out there, and that's why I appreciate you taking me on for this talk, the more people that know about it, the better chance we have finding them. Mm-hmm. Well, Valerie Wetstein, uh, I, I wish you all the luck in the world, and I hope, I hope we can get these horses back. Thank you very much. When you botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man, we started getting some visitors. From every universe. That is the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Uh, I'm Martin Strong in for Mike Smith, and it's time to talk movies. Uh, That movie just became the first pandemic-era film to hit the $1 billion mark worldwide. So things are slowly getting back to normal at the box office and the movie theaters. And with me now to talk about 2021 and some of the movies and some of the movies uh, that we can look forward to in 2022 is Kurt Smekel, the film critic and the post, the podcast host of Three Angry Nerds. Hi, Kurt. How are you? Great. How about yourself? Very, very well. So uh, Spider-Man just uh, just exploded. And despite all the challenges with with COVID, it, it, it just uh, it made a ton of money. So what is it about Spider-Man? Why? It seems like Spider-Man has become sort of the most popular superhero. It's, it seems to me it's kind of eclipsed even Superman and Batman. Well, it's interesting that with Spider-Man, I mean, in the Marvel universe of movies, they've started to sort of introduce this idea of the multiverse, whereas there's different versions of characters across the multiverse. And that was something that they've kind of been setting up through multiple projects. But Spider-Man has been one where they actually use that as a pretty major plot device to actually bring back some characters from previous films. So you've got fans like me who probably remember the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, and you see characters from those movies being brought back. So I think this uh, movie, more so than any other film, has started to kind of appeal to larger generations of people. You're going to see that a lot in other films in the coming years where they kind of bring back characters from films that maybe were more popular in the 90s and 2000s. But now, you know, with the new story concepts they're bringing forward, you can actually bring those characters back and do new interesting things with them. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of younger people might not realize the history of Spider-Man because I think in the in the 70s and 80s Spider-Man was was kind of a cheesy superhero cuz a, a lot of people grew up with those cartoons. I think they were Canadian made, those Spider-Man mm-hmm. cartoons, and it wasn't until yeah. like the 2000s when the well the whole franchise kind of got rehabilitated. Mhm. Yeah, exactly. And Spider-Man's been a character that really uh you know we really think about it the first movie came out in 2002 and since then we've had i mean so many movies i think we're probably encroaching around 10 movies with this character now so i mean compared to superman and other characters his live action appearance still has a relatively recent debut but they've been using that time to really capitalize on the character yeah and talking about some of the other films from 2021, talking about franchise movies that uh, have a, the universe in them, uh, The Suicide Squad was really popular. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and that's a movie that I really enjoyed when it came out. Uh, that was directed by James Gunn, who many people will know is directing the Guardians of the Galaxies movies for Marvel. Uh, he had a bit of a falling out uh, with Marvel for a little bit there, and during that time he went with DC and they let him direct The Suicide Squad uh, and it's just a fun movie. It's uh, one that's it certainly brings the James Gunn style and charm to the table, but also has a bunch of crazy characters. And that movie actually just went to Crave, so people can start streaming that on Crave. Uh, I think starting a couple of days ago, it came on the service, so it's pretty readily available for people to check out. And you mentioned uh, it's kind of funny. It's a humorous, and it seems like the most yes. popular of the superhero movies are kind of funny. Is that is that kind of a new phenomenon? I think 
in a way, yes. I mean, the Marvel movies in particular have always had humor in them. I think DC is starting to see the box office potential of having movies that are also just fun. And I think that's really what it comes down to. The humor kind of increases the fun factor where somebody who maybe doesn't know these characters can go and still have a good time with the humor and all that. And maybe you learn a, a little bit about the characters along the way as well. Yeah, I guess as opposed to the Batman franchise, which is all so dark and serious. <laughs> Well, there was the Lego Batman movie that came out a few years ago, which was actually pretty funny. I definitely would recommend people check that out if they want a bit of a funnier take on Batman. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about the Lego Batman. That that was hilarious. Um, and uh, Mortal Kombat was a big one. That was a, a huge one. Yeah, and that was a movie that was a bit of a revitalization of the that franchise. Uh, there were some movies that came out in the 90s that uh, I think they did relatively well, but looking back on them, they're a little cheesy. And yeah, Mortal Kombat, the new one, it uh, definitely gets a little campy in spots, but it was largely a lot better handled than it was in the 90s. And just a whole lot of fun. And that's also on Crave for people to check out if they want to check that out from home. Yeah, so that's a that's a good point. So what's your favorite movie of, uh, I guess, since we're talking superhero movies, uh, what what do you think was the best one of 2021? I think it's got to be Spider-Man No Way Home. I mean, the ambitiousness of that story and all the characters they brought back. I don't want to spoil any of the surprises because it's one you want to go in with very little knowledge of the plot beforehand. But just what they brought to that table for the story, everything was just so well done, so well handled. And I mean, I don't think there's a movie going experience quite like seeing No Way Home. I mean, I saw it at a press screening. I had a lot of fun, but I also saw it with a crowded room of Marvel fans and if anything it made the experience much more uh, rich because you have a bunch of people all reacting at the same time as you to seeing all these amazing things on screen yeah those press screenings can be funny you go see a movie at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning and the yeah. theater's about one-tenth full <laughs> if that yeah yeah but but you get to drink coffee while you watch a movie um yes. yeah so so for people who maybe uh haven't watched a superhero movie in a long time uh, mm-hmm. and, and what, what's a movie you would recommend, especially one that might be streaming right now, they can watch at home. Where is a good place to start in your mind? I mean, right now, Disney plus has the entire MCU catalog of movies and they even have it categorized in different ways. So you can actually watch it in chronological order of when those movies take place in the universe, you can watch them by the time of release. So, I mean, those Marvel movies, there's now around three or four a year, and then there's various shows. So, you know, if you want to kind of get caught up on that, that entire catalog is up on Disney Plus for people to check out. So that's a great place to start. And Netflix also has a lot of great stuff as well, including uh, some characters that they've kind of brought from various kind of little bit minor uh, comic book adaptations. But there's a lot of great stuff there as well, including Lock and Key on Netflix, which I really quite enjoyed as well. And this is Martin Strong sitting in for Mike this morning. And our phone number is 604-280-9898. And we're talking movies with Kurt Smakal, film critic and podcast host. The podcast is Three Angry Nerds. And uh, we were talking about the new Spider-Man movie. Just uh, hit the $1 billion mark around the world. First pandemic era film to do that. And uh, Terry in New West is on the line. And uh, Terry, you're a, a big Spider-Man fan. Well, actually, um, first off, you guys, um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah, um, same year. I just you. told the fellow that took my phone call at your station, I kept all my Marvel comics in the 1960s. I still have a whole bunch of them, like maybe 150 of them. And I was into Captain America. I even got a Captain America from October 1970 where he kind of subtly supports the anti-war protesters against the war in Vietnam. Wow. Because my dad was in America, and I kind of got into Captain America. But, um, yeah, uh, my favorite movie I, th- I saw all year, I think, was Dune. Uh, I was really surprised at how well d- done it was. It was an excellent movie. And uh, the special effects and the acting were incredible. I recommend it if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, thanks, Terry. Yeah, Dune, I have not seen. <laughs> I saw the... The uh, previous Dune movie directed by David Lynch, which is, I'm a big fan of David Lynch, but not so much that movie. Um, but Dune was, was such a good movie and it, it was very, uh, successful financially, but everybody I've talked to who has seen it has said it is just a great, great movie. 
Yeah, it's a movie that I find is, uh, I mean, for me particularly, <laughs> it's a good movie, looks good, the performances are great, but to me it's still one half of a story, and part of me is like, I really want the second half. So it, it feels like uh, a movie that I think would be more beneficial to watch back-to-back with the second part so that you get the full story. Uh, and that's coming in, I believe, 2023 or 2024. So it's a little bit of a ways away uh, until the next Doom movie. But yeah, I mean, even if you watch it now, you'll still get some enjoyment out of it. But I think uh, some like me may walk away going, well, I only got half of a story there. I didn't quite get the full story. Yeah, well, a couple of our producers, Corey and Tim, uh, have lit up our, our little communications thing telling me that Dune was amazing, Dune was <laughs> gorgeous, uh, and uh, yeah. And and also, I'm hearing uh, from Corey that uh, Matrix, yeah, okay, the new Matrix. Have you seen that yeah, yet? Yeah, the, the new Matrix, it, it does a lot story-wise, and I think uh, it may take a while for people to maybe take it all in but on top of that too there was some weird decisions in the plot department they recast some characters while they kept others there was just a lot of odd decisions with that movie that for me at least held it back from being entertaining right and 2021 was a pretty good year for horror films for people who love the horror films and uh, uh the the one uh, that i'm hearing a lot about is halloween kills let's hear the trailer for halloween kills My grandmother was right. The boogeyman was real. It's over. We can't hurt anyone ever again. No one told you. Told me what? Somebody in there? Michael Myers is alive. (laughs) Michael Myers is alive. So your review of Halloween Kills. Oh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, And I think, too, the thing with a lot of the slasher movies is Scream came out in 1996, and people said, well, this is making fun of those movies. How can you make a slasher movie post-Scream and have it work? And Halloween Kills says, hold my beer, and I'm going to show you how it's done. Uh, A lot of really effective kills, a lot of great story elements, a lot of great performances. There's some controversial story elements in there. I'll kind of leave it to the listeners and viewers to kind of decide for themselves if it's controversial for them. I love the movie. I thought it was so well done. And uh, it's a movie I've been rewatching even a couple times since it's come out. Right. And uh, the other the other horror films that have done well, Midnight Mass. Yeah. So that's a limited series on Netflix. So also pretty uh, accessible for people. And that's from Mike Flanagan, who uh, he did the Doctor Sleep movie which was the sequel to um the shining and he's also done a few other uh stories as well that have been pretty well received this is one that he's kind of written as an original story and he did it well you know basically with all these great ideas he's had over the years including uh a bit of influence from his own uh kind of way to reach sobriety and his way to kick alcoholism. It's just a great story. It's so effective. And everyone that I've recommended it to has come back and said that it's one of the best stories they've seen all year and a ton of great performances. And it's, you know, not overly scary, but I think it's scary enough that people will find it enjoyable. Right. And then there's malignant. Yeah. So malignant's great in that it's such an odd uh, experiment from a filmmaker, James Wan, who he makes movies that make a billion dollars easily. He's got Aquaman. He's got the Conjuring movies. He's definitely a filmmaker who uh, can crank out blockbusters anytime he wants to. Uh, and he basically went to Warner Brothers, the studio, and said, I want to make this movie. It's not tied into any franchise. It's just this idea I've had for a while. And it's kind of a callback to the shallow films of old, uh, which some of you might uh, recall, such as Suspiria, other movies like that. So it's his attempt at kind of creating a modern giallo thriller. And it's such a bizarrely entertaining movie. There's scenes in that movie that you'll still be thinking about well after you see it. So if you're looking for horror, I think one of, if not the best movies this year is Malignant. Right. Let's hear the trailer for that. This is the trailer for Malignant. The body of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No. But I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders. As they're happening. 
That's malignant. And Kurt, before I let you go, I guess I have to ask you, what was your overall uh, favorite movie of 2021? And what's a movie that uh, maybe people have overlooked that you think they should go see? Yeah, I think my favorite movie and the best movie of 2021 would have to be Kenneth Branagh's uh, film Belfast, which he sort of made as a bit of an autobiographical look into uh, Ireland amidst a ton of civil unrest. But it's just a very heartwarming story with a ton of great performances. And just everything about that movie oozes charm and confidence. And it's a movie that I think anybody can watch and enjoy. Uh, it's in black and white, and it just has such a great nostalgic feel to it. It even has some rock songs from the 60s, so I think a lot of people will uh, get a great kick out of watching Belfast. And I think in terms of underrated movies, I mean, there's always uh, some that slip through uh, the radars of everybody, but I would think one uh, would be Petite Maman, which is a French film. It's okay. a movie about a young girl who kind of goes to visit her grandfather or grandmother's house after she passes away. And she meets a young girl who uh, they have a bit of a connection. I won't spoil it here. I'm going to have uh, to cut you off. So that's probably good. But thanks, Kurt.